This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Astronomy Cast, episode 652, The Rocket Race Towards Reusability. Welcome to Astronomy Cast, our weekly facts-based journey through the cosmos, where we help you understand not only what we know, but how we know what we know. I'm Fraser Kane. I'm the publisher of Universe Today. I've been a space and astronomy journalist for over 20 years. With me, as always, is Dr. Pamela Gay, a senior scientist for the Planetary Science Institute and the director of CosmoQuest. Hey, Pamela, how you doing? I am doing well. It uh, This was a truly delightful show to prep for, and I love the future we're approaching. Right. Well, last week, we were. I, I was extremely, overwhelmingly ambivalent this week. <laughs> um, I am... I am more encouraging. I'm shifting to the positive side of, of ambivalence. Uh, all right. Well, last week we talked about how single-use rocketry has changed over time and the role it still plays in launching payloads into orbit and beyond. Today, we'll address the stainless steel elephant in the room and talk about the shift to reusability. All right. So again, last week we talked about single-use rockets and their declining role, their but yeah. still important role in yeah. sending payloads into space, especially beyond low Earth orbit. But the the competition to single-use rocket, the wildly bizarre idea of using things multiple times, is catching up quick, or has utterly surpassed or is casting a long shadow over uh, single-use rocketry. So so <clears throat> what's the history? I mean, we all know the idea. What is the history of, of reusing a rocket? And why hasn't this been done until now? That, that I don't know. So, so the question that plagued me while prepping the show, and then I will answer your question. The question that plagued me while prepping for this show is why they didn't try and make the early capsules reusable. Because, like, Gemini, Apollo, mm-hmm. they needed to replace the heat shield, clearly. But yeah. there was a whole lot of electronics that it felt like they should be able to reuse those capsules. I'm sure there was good reason. I just don't know what those reasons were. And this is one of those things that, that I now want the answer to. And well, but my guess, sorry, is, is that yes. the reason is because something could have broken and you don't know what it is. Right. Right. Right? That, that <clears throat> spaceflight is, is extreme. It is not driving a car 
it is driving a car at 28,000 kilometers per hour. It is not turning on the brakes for your car to slow yourself down. It is passing through the atmosphere of the earth and, (laughs) and the enormous heat and pressure and temperature. And so it's just like you put all this stuff in and it works new. Do you really want to trust that some part of it isn't, you know, didn't break, didn't snap, didn't jiggle, didn't, you know, and so the amount of time it would take to recertify every single piece of the entire capsule is probably the amount it would cost to build a new one. And and it is indeed that what does it take and how long does it take to build a new one versus test the old one? That is why so much stuff is still completely disposable when they don't have high cadence and when they don't take a lot of time to make. But it, it was actually Werner von Braun who was one of the first people to start thinking about what is necessary to do reusable. And there were some neat ideas to build things that looked shockingly like mm-hmm. the, the currently planned Neutron, the almost in-production Starship, where it was this flattened airplane-ish design that he was hoping to be able to launch and then bring back. And he was thinking parachutes, but it goes all the way back to, well, our founding father of rocketry. Every, I I had a like really interesting realization in the last couple of weeks. Every Mm -hmm. interesting idea that people are thinking of right now in terms of reusable rocketry, magnetospheres, uh, bases on the moon, lunar yeah. rovers, everything is in a technical paper written in the 1960s by yes. some NASA engineers that all of these ideas have been thought of back in the 60s. It's just that we didn't necessarily either have the technology or the will to to carry these things out. It's incredible yeah. that you, know, you show me a new idea and I will show you a paper from the 1960s that someone had already described that idea in beautiful detail. Um, But the space shuttle, I think, was the first proper attempt to create a fully reusable two-stage rocket system. Yes. And not only that, but they were looking to reuse both the first and sort of kind of second stage. I don't know what you want to call the space shuttle itself. The orbiter? Well, but in terms of stages, reusing the second stage is something that we're still largely not doing, where Mm -hmm. the the first stage, originally the SRBs for the space shuttle, they were scooping them out of the ocean, and then the shuttle was coming back for a landing, and it was the external tank that was getting thrown away. And, And today, we are back to the capsule at the top is reused, that second stage is thrown away, but for the Falcon 9, that first stage comes back for the new Shepard, there isn't really a second stage, it's that first stage and then the capsule. And and so we're starting to get there, but there's still pieces we're missing. I mean, again, if you go back and look at those drawings of the space shuttle from the 1960s, it is... It looks kind of like the space shuttle, yeah. except the the main the like the main fuel mm-hmm. stage, yeah, has wings too. 
Yes, they were originally right? planning to bring it back as well. Right, and so and so that you would have the the main fuel tank, essentially the booster, and it would have wings, and then you would have the orbiter sitting on top, and it would have wings, and then the whole stack would take off, and then the the booster would detach from the orbiter, and it would mm-hmm. glide back and land at Kennedy Space Center, and then the orbiter would fly to space, complete its mission, and then it would fly back. And at some point along the journey, they abandoned the idea and shifted to to a partial reuse. And, you know, maybe it wasn't ever even feasible or maybe it was a technology issue or maybe it was just because they threw too many requirements at the capability of yeah. of the shuttle, which, you know, a lot of people complain about that. But there was a time when the space shuttle would have been the fully result. It was essentially Starship yes. designed in the 1960s. And so, again, back to what I said, that every good idea has already been thought of by engineers in the 1960s. But that didn't happen. It's so easy to think that it was a technological issue. But then I look at the fact that they got one flight out of Buran and were able to make it land on its own. And, and so at least the Russians once got it to work. So... I mean, it probably weighed a lot. Well, and there's an animation by Hayes Gray Art, who was just like one of my favorite YouTube channels. Uh-huh. And he posted this uh, this rendition of a, a Russian Energia rocket where the, the boosters would all sprout little wings and yes. all return to the to the landing pad or, you know, they would land like, like aircraft. And so this idea of, of reusable rocketry, but I think we didn't really see some first initial steps until the 1990s, the Roton, I would say it was like the Roton. And what was the, what was that first reusable rocket? Oh, do you know what I'm talking about? No. And, and this is what I love about working with you is because you've been a journalist for 20 years. And right, right, right. <laughs> you can remember yeah. some of the stuff that I was still in school while you were being a reporter. Yeah, yeah. Someone I'm sure is going to post in the chat. Let me just get the name of it. Um, uh, oh, there was like this, it, it did like a, a launch and landing. Ah, oh, I forget the name. Come on, come on. Where is it? Where is it? Oh, I've lost it. The Delta Clipper? No, no, the Delta Clipper was the X-37. The DCX, I guess. So so in the 90s, um, a couple of companies worked on rockets that look very much like the Blue Origin's New Shepard. It yes. would blast off, fly to a certain height, and then use a, you know, a propulsive landing to set foot gently on the landing pad on the launch pad again and so they were able to demonstrate this capability but the uh the rotary rocket oh which one was it yeah all right anyway yeah delta clipper i'm gonna say was the first one the the first modern rocket to really do it was actually that that new shepherd and and it's one of those wonderful moments where it wasn't actually SpaceX that that demonstrated you can land your first stage back just like those 1950s illustrations yeah. demonstrated, uh, just like 
reading in Martian Chronicles, uh, it it was Bezos who did it first. Uh, it was just Musk who did it a little bit later and then commercialized it and made it work over and over and over again. So in this case, the slightly less fast rabbit, because neither of them is a turtle, uh, was <laughs> the one that really won the race. So what do you think was the big technological advance that was required to shift into this realm of reusable booster booster rockets like the Falcon 9 from SpaceX? Fast enough processors to be able to handle the gimbling fins and engines necessary to keep that rocket upright and on target in all the chaos that is our atmosphere. Yeah, and and like engineers considered every possible idea. Like they thought of like, what if we have a parachute and what if we have something that's inflatable and what if this thing glides and what if this thing lands gently in the ocean and we clean it up? They thought of every single, what if we catch it with an airplane, et cetera, et cetera. And, and in the end, the one that was the simplest, no fuss, no muss was have the rocket use its own propulsion system to land on the ground again. But the micro adjustments required to do that were just beyond the capability of of just computers until the last decade. And one of the things that I think aided and abetted in allowing this to happen was the commercial space race saying, yeah, we're just going to test this stuff with our own money. We're going to try and get all the federal contracts. But by going solo, we can use technologies that aren't yet space certified and make them space certified along the way. The the SLS is using a G3 from the late 90s. And with, with SpaceX and with uh, the New Shepard, New Glenn series from Blue Origin, they're using the latest processors, CPUs, GPUs to figure everything out as they go. And that is huge. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was it was amazing to watch as as SpaceX was able to successfully, you know, they had a lot of failures and then oh, yeah. they started to to stick the landings, but the landings weren't close. And I saw an anim- uh, a video just a couple of days ago showing just a most recent routine landing of a yeah. Falcon 9 booster and it was it must have been within centimeters of the X where it was supposed to land. It was so precise, so accurate. They have absolutely nailed this. And at this point, I mean, SpaceX is reusing these Falcon 9 boosters more than 10 times. Yeah. It's incredible. And and they're able to do that because they have their own stuff they don't mind if they inadvertently blow up. They're, right. they're testing just how many times you can reuse these boosters by taking the boosters that have been flown more times than they're certified to carry NASA payloads, and they're using them to lift Starlinks. So they have their own commercial case that is paying for them to use experimental technologies. And And so I think they really, in this case, SpaceX is really living the dream of having a space truck yes, with the Falcon 9. And that was sort of always the hope with the space shuttle. 
Now, of course, SpaceX isn't the only company in this no. in the works. There are some competitors, and one delighted you. <laughs> this is true. So, oh. so pretty much everyone in the world is now set, trying to say, "How can I do what SpaceX is making so routine?" And my favorite rocket company. I never knew I'd have a favorite rocket company. My favorite rocket company is Rocket Lab. Their electron rockets are huggable in size, beautiful tech. They they are pioneering completely new kinds of rocket drives. And they basically had to say, look, we weigh nothing. We are tiny. There is nowhere in an electron to put the stuff necessary to come back and land. But we have enough room for a parachute because they're essentially the biggest model rocket out there. And what they're doing is, is launching, having that first stage come back, launch a drogue chute and a parachute, and there is a good sturdy cable that a helicopter can come along and grab it from between the drogue chute and parachute and haul it on back to the landing site. And this means they don't have to deal with, well, the corrosive nature of ocean water. And they get to reuse that first stage. And they're just in the process of figuring this out. But they're taking this reusability and building it in from step one with their upcoming neutron rockets, which are, again, taking that has wings, uh, fully reusable starship kind of design that, again, goes back to the, the original illustrators in the 1950s. There are no new ideas. Right, right. Um, and, you know, we know that they they did a test of the electron rocket. They caught yes. the booster, but then dropped it. But they just announced just a couple of days ago that they hot-fired the engines, the Rutherford yes. engines, from that rocket, and they worked great. So... Yeah. Even though it took a little bit of a swim, they're going to probably be able to reuse those engines if they should they want to. But the goal, I mean, with the electron, with the neutron, the goal here now is to shift to a fully reusable two-stage rocket. So not yes. just the first stage, the the booster stage, but actually reuse the upper stage as well, which is that's the holy grail in spaceflight where you reuse every single part of your rocket just like you reuse every single part of your airplane. And their design has been described as the hungry, hungry hippo rocket fairings. Yeah. With, with Falcon 9, uh, they're reusing their fairings. They, they have them pop off and flit back down, and they're working to catch them in these really weird nets attached to big, fast-moving boats. Uh, but... Again, catching things, having to bring them back, that adds cost, and it also adds danger. They are dropping some of these into the ocean and having to scoop them back out. With Neutron, they have this delightful plan to essentially have the fairings hinged, hang from inside their payload, and they're flinging their payload out of this hinged set of fairings that they're then closing back up and bringing that second stage back down to Earth. And I don't know why we haven't done this already other than that's one more moving part and moving parts are difficult. But it just seems so straightforward. 
it's the upper stage. It's the yes. it's the being able to retrieve the upper stage. And this is like SpaceX hasn't been able to do this yet because right. the first stage is going relatively slowly. The, the upper stage is going close to orbital velocity. It's tricky to then have some way of retrieving that that upper stage. So I'd be interested to see how Neutron actually solves this. Now, there's a couple of other rocket companies that we should mention before we get on yes. to, like I said, the stainless steel elephant in the room. Uh, one is Blue Origin, and I would love to talk all about Blue Origin, but I have no idea what's going on with Blue Origin. They don't tell us anything. We're just in the dark. I don't know. Yeah. They make rockets, maybe. It's it's actually one of the great frustrations of rocket watching. Uh, I yeah. mean, you, you have SpaceX on one side with the tank watchers who are getting all sorts of information from SpaceX, and there's all sorts of news, thoughts, tweets, and... And it feels like there's this constant deluge of information. You have all the public folks like Ariane 5 that are, are sharing what they're doing. And then with, with, with Blue Origin, we're essentially having to look for no-fly zones to crop up and guess that maybe they're going to fly something based on a no-fly zone being published. Right. Yeah, I mean, we definitely have been watching the launches and landings of the new Shepard, but that is a suborbital flight. It goes up, it comes back down, carrying tourists. But they are, in theory, building a giant rocket with a a reusable first stage, and we have no idea. So, so until they tell us interesting things, they they shall remain just barely mentioned. Um, the other company we should talk about definitely is United Launch Alliance with their yes. Vulcan rocket. And I was, I think I mentioned this, I've been fortunate enough to actually talk to Tori Bruno about this. Yeah. And the plan for the Vulcan is to have the, to capture the engines. Essentially the engines, the motors are the most expensive, most complicated part of the, of the rocket. And so if you can save those, you're saving most of your development cost. And so their plan is to use a giant inflatable heat shield that will expand like a bouncy castle and the motors will descend through the atmosphere. And what's cool is it's the same technology that NASA is planning to use for Mars, for yes. for landing heavier payloads into the atmosphere of Mars, up to, say, three tons. So the technology that's going to be retrieving Vulcan rocket engines, and these are Blue Origin BE-4 engines, so it's the same. So at least we know a little bit more about about Blue Origin's engines than we do know about their, about their actual rocket companies. So the Chinese are going all in on reusable yes. rockets. There's many private and government-funded companies that are developing reusable rockets. We've seen lots of, we've seen some tests. Things have climbed to a couple of kilometers. We've seen some, um, we've seen some plans, but we don't have a, a competitor to SpaceX yet. But I, I am guessing we will see that just in a matter of, of a couple of years where they will shift over big parts of their industry into reusable rockets. So let's talk about the big steel monster in Texas. Yes. yes. And you and I were actually together in Huntsville when they announced that it was going to be steel instead of carbon fiber. And That's right. carbon fiber is what Rocket Labs is going with. So I just love the diversity of what's being used. 
Uh, so, so Starship, it uh, has a belly covered in tiles uh, to act as a heat shield, and the idea is that you have a uh, giant rocket that is... Uh, it launches like a normal rocket, and then it comes down and gets caught by chopsticks. Again, <laughs> giant chopsticks. Uh, and and then on top of it is Starship that is like some of the original ideas to have space planes mounted on the top of your rocket. Well, they're actually taking the idea that Dream Chaser and others have had for these small space planes and scaling it up to something that is basically the 747 of carrying your crew into space. And the idea is it will be able to come down on its belly on that heat shield through the atmosphere, use avionics to control its descent, and then flip right before it gets to the ground and land politely, just like they're doing with the first stage of the Falcon 9. So you don't need to have those long runways that we had with the space shuttle. They're just going to be, well, doing their thing, potentially even out on the old reused oil platforms in the ocean. And it's kind of amazing to see that SpaceX is just building these rockets out of stainless steel just on yes. the landscape, just like yes. as if they were office towers. Yes. And yet, in the end, this office tower is going to fly to space. And if they pull this off, you've got a rocket that is capable of launching more than 100 tons into low Earth orbit. And yet, both the booster stage and the upper stage are fully reusable and yes. and they can both be landed both can be refueled again and in theory launch again within the day which is incredible and there's two different versions of starship under development we we really only see the one right now uh, that they're testing out in West Texas, and and that's the one that will go from ground to space and back again. But they're also developing what is essentially a ferry system to get from the surface of the moon and then out yes. to a capsule or a small space station in cislunar space, where we are looking at a future very much like the For All Mankind, where... You have astronauts as ferry drivers. And <laughs> yeah. instead of having that lunar lander that they have in For All Mankind, it's going to be a giant starship doing the 747 kind of thing. It's funny when you see the animation of the, of the, of the landing system yeah. docking with the lunar gateway, and it's bigger. Yes. Yes. It's so funny. Yeah, it's huge. Um, so where we stand right now is in this period of limbo, of flux. Blue Origin, who knows what they're doing? It's right. a mystery. Uh, United Launch Alliance, they're waiting on their their rocket engines, to, and they're going to be building the Vulcan rocket. Yes. Rocket Lab, they're working on the Neutron. SpaceX, They've got the Falcon 9 going, but all eyes are on what they're going to do with Starship. Who knows what China is working on? We didn't even mention Russia. Russia says stuff. So we'd, India. You know, India is trustworthy, India. and they are working on things. India. Ariane Space is looking at things. Yeah, Europe is not doing too much. I but said looking. Looking. All they're, right, they're, fine. They're, they're in the yeah. contemplating stage. So... 
the point being that we are in this weird place where we don't know if these big, which of these big bets are going to play off and how and when. And it's kind of exciting. Like, yes. there are a lot of players in the game. Obviously, the, the Starship seems like the most likely one to take off and run with it. But there's some really good ideas coming out of Rocket Lab. Uh, even efficiencies coming, you know, and who knows? Blue Origin may have a beautiful, wonderful solution in their, in their giant factory. We have no idea. But, Here's to hoping. Yeah, I can't imagine. I mean, it's just such a thrilling time to be watching this space, pardon the pun, and to see what see what happens. All right. Thanks, Pamela. Thank you, Fraser. And thank you to all of our Patreon followers at patreon.com slash astronomycast. You allow us to, well, constantly improve on this show, doing better and better, hopefully, over time. This week, I would like to thank in particular Stephen Veit, Burry Gowan, Jordan Young, Kevin Lyle, Jeanette Wink, Nanoflips, Bore Andre Livsvall, J.F. Rogetta, Andrew Palestra, Venkatrash Chari, Brian Kegel, David Trogue, the giant nothing, Aurora Leiper, David, Gerhard Schweitzer, Bill Hamilton, Buzz Parsec, Ronald McCoy, Kaka Sarif, Laura Kettleson, Robert Prelazma, Les Howard, Jack Mudge, Joe Holstein, Gordon Dewis, Frank Tippin, Adam Ennis, Brown, Alexis, Richard Drum, William Baker, Wanderer, M101, Zero Chill, Felix Goot, William Andrews, Gold, and Jeff Collins. Thank you, all of you, for making this show possible. Thank you, everyone, and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Astronomy Cast is a joint product of Universe Today and the Planetary Science Institute. Astronomy Cast is released under a Creative Commons attribution license. So love it, share it, and remix it. But please credit it to our hosts, Fraser Kane and Dr. Pamela Gay. You can get more information on today's show topic on our website, astronomycast.com. This episode was brought to you thanks to our generous patrons on Patreon. If you want to help keep this show going, please consider joining our community at patreon.com slash astronomycast. Not only do you help us pay our producers a fair wage, you will also get special access to content right in your inbox and invites to online events. We are so grateful to all of you who have joined our Patreon community already. Anyways, keep looking up. This has been Astronomy Cast. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.